God is present with us. Amen? And when He's present with us, you know that He wants to do something in our lives. He wants to speak into our lives. He wants to, he wants to um, change something inside of us. He, he comes to us because He wants to speak to us. He lives with us and dwells with us because He wants to carry us and nurture us through. We are never meant to be in this life alone without our Father with us. Our Father is to be with us, to walk with us, to talk with us continuously. And Jesus uh, taught us how to pray. And he says, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And he taught us to engage with Father God, to, to begin to develop a relationship with Father God and to walk with Father God. As we um, go through life, we, we tend to lose the, the touch of that vital relationship with God so easily. And we drop into religiosity and we drop into doing church things and we drop into church programs and church events and we lose the dynamic of walking with Jesus and following Jesus. And Liz talked to us last week about following Jesus. We're dealing with the subject of ethics. We're dealing with ethics because it's one of those foundational stones that has been removed in our society. We've got relativism now in our society, which says everything is relative to the situation. There are no moral absolutes any longer. There's no right and wrong. It's whatever you want to say or want to do that's right or wrong. And it's up to you to decide whether it's right or wrong. And so all of the boundary stones are being shifted and moved around so that, so that what we have in our society, this is in this society, it's not in uh, maybe a Hindu society or an Indian society or an African society. This is this society in, a, in the Western world. This is how it is in the Western world. We're talking about the Western paradigm, the Western frame of mind. Everything is relative. And so what God has been speaking to us as a church to do is to lay again the foundations that have been removed by our society. Lay those foundations very strongly down again and, and for our children to hear those those foundations and to understand those foundations and to believe those things and to put their faith in Jesus again and put their faith in his word again. The word of God is inerrant. The word of God is beautiful. It, it gives us the, the answers to life. And my Bible's over there. So, um, it, it, you know, this is... This is the rule of thumb for us, this is God speaking to us. And as we read it, God speaks into our hearts. Society, modernism, postmodernism said this is just fable. This is just stories. This is nothing. But we know this is the word of God. We know and there's some really strong evidence to give us. And, and we, can, we could go through. We preached that you know, in the first month of this year. We preached the evidence for this being the word of God. There were very, 10 very strong evidences for this being the word of God and taken, um, taken seriously. And if you want to, those, you can get a little pamphlet up there and come and talk to me later. I'll, I'll run them through with you if you don't know them. We also looked at creation, and creation speaks to us about, about God being existent and alive. We don't need to look at and say, is there a God? We know there is a God, but just by looking at creation, by looking at the things around us. We've gone through those things. You can listen to those sermons on the net. If you want to go on the net and listen to those sermons, they're there. We've left them there so that you can listen to them and lay again those foundations in your life. We then talked about, um, what was the next one we talked about? Philosophy. Philosophy about the wisdom, how God's view of things. And we, we, we did three weeks of philosophy and now we're talking about ethics. 
We've done two weeks on ethics. I talked about the rule of ethics, where it all comes from. Liz talked about walking with Jesus and keeping a good, uh, keeping being not being hypocritical because hypocrisy is a, a break of ethics. It's living an unethical or unethical life. So we're going to continue, and we're going to talk about ethics, and this time we're going to talk about conscience today. Conscience, and the reason I want to talk about conscience is because really conscience, that inner part of our lives, is where we interface with right and wrong. You know, if our conscience is right before God, then we will make right choices. If our conscience is not good before God, we'll make wrong choices. And so really we have to understand that conscience is, is where morality interfaces for us. And the Bible tells us that conscience is that part of our soul, that inner part. So when it talks about soul, it's talking about the immaterial part of you. You can grab your body. Your body is here. It's physical. The soul is the immaterial part of you. It's made up of a lot of different things. But part of that soul on the inside of you is called conscience. And conscience is an evidence for the, the, the wonderful power of God in creating us. Conscience speaks to us. You can get born and you can get raised in any family, in any country, in any culture. And when you come to an age, you'll start to understand conscience because conscience is innate. It's, it's inside you. It's been put inside you. God put it inside you. Wrong and right were put inside you by God because you were created by his image. An evidence of God's existence, an evidence of, of his life is there inside you because there's a moral trigger inside saying what's right or wrong. And so conscience actually is an amazing little voice because it speaks to us and it says, that thing is wrong. Where did it learn that? How does it know that? Who told it that? That lying is wrong. Who told that, the conscience that that was wrong? And that thing is right. And conscience says, shun the wrong and do the right. That's what it says. That's the little voice inside of us. That's what it says in the, in the Blue Little Bible. It says the soul is the distinguishing aspect. What it's distinguishing between what is morally good and bad, prompting to do, to do the former and shun the latter, uh, commending one and condemning the other. That's what conscience is. So in the, when we talk about ethics, the process of ethics and behaviour starts with God's moral law. So God tells us what's right and what's wrong. We don't determine that for ourselves. God tells us what's right and wrong. Our society says, you figure it out for yourself. It's, if it's right for you, uh, that's right for you. If it's wrong for you, it's wrong for you. Our society has changed the goalpost. It says you can determine what's right for you. The Bible says this is right, this is wrong. It tells us, God tells us very clearly in the Bible what's right and wrong. From the right and wrong of God's laws, we develop what's called ethics. Now, ethics are those principles that we live by. No matter what uh, business you're involved in, there's going to be an ethical standard that you have to keep. I'm a builder, and in building, there's a certain ethic, and we have to have uh, uh, inspectors come. I've got an inspector coming through on, on uh, Monday. He's coming to come and look at my frame to see if I've been ethical, to see if I've built according to the standard, according to the regulations. It has to be right. You know, if it's not right, I get a cross. If, I, if it is right, I get a tick. So there's an ethical standard with regard to building. Uh, same with psychology, same with teaching, same with any profession that you're involved in. There's an ethical standard. Ethics are those principles that, that our society says are these are right and wrong. So from God's laws come our ethics. From our ethics, we develop our attitude. So our attitude is the sort of thing, the way I think. So I'm looking and I, I look around the job site in the building site and I'm, I'm looking and I say, you know what? 
In this wall here, there's meant to be a, a steel rod that goes right through to the ground, screwed into the ground up through the roof. But I've already braced both sides of that, so you can't actually see where that is. You know what? I can get by with that, you know, just see if I can get that past the inspector without it actually being seen. But that's the wrong attitude. So my attitude is, no, I want to be a good builder. So what I have to do is I have to take that sheet of ply off now and I have to put that steel rod in there so I make sure it's in, take photographs of it so, so I can see it's in, then put that sheet back on again. My attitude with regard to my building process is dictated to my ethic and my ethic's dictated to me by the law of God about me being honest. And so my behaviour is that I'll do the extra job to take the thing off to put that rod in there so it can be seen to be there. It is there. I know it's there. So that's how it works. That's how ethics works. It comes from the law of God and it flows down through our, our principles, then into our attitudes, then out of our attitudes and into our behaviour. And we behave either ethically or unethically or we behave morally or immorally. So here's the process of following Jesus. Here's the process of good conscience. It starts with hearing God's truth. So God speaks to us through his word and we hear that, you know. Um, we may be in a situation and uh, we, we uh, tell a little bit of lie. So a small lie. It's not a big lie, it's just a little lie. A little, I think in the Filipinos they have white lies as opposed to black lies. The white lie is a lie that you can tell when you're smiling and, and everybody else is smiling. They all know that you told a lie but no one ever believes white lies. They're not really bad. They're not as bad as black lies. Well, anyway, God then speaks to you. You go that and you read Exodus 20. And Exodus 20 says, it says, Thou shalt not lie. That's the ninth commandment in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. And straight away, you're convicted about telling little white lies. Immediately you hear the word of God, your conscience speaks to you. That little voice inside, it's been sort of cleaned up because it's taken God's truth. And now it says to you, you know what? <clears throat> Even a little white lie is not good enough for you. You have to be clear. You have to be precise. Your yes has to be yes and your no has to be no. You can't be telling little white lies. And so immediately you decide, okay, I want to follow Jesus. I want to have a good conscience. So I'll confess, I'm sorry for telling little white lies. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to accept your truth as being the truth, as being the rule of thumb, and I'm going to develop a new attitude. And the new attitude is going to be, I'm going to tell the truth the whole time. This is going to be difficult for me, I know, because as soon as you decide to do something like that, you're tested on that straight away. But you do the will of God. Somebody comes up and says, have you eaten? If you're a Filipino, they say, have you eaten? And of course, the little white lie says, I've already eaten. Which is straight away, because that's what they do all the time, isn't it? You go to a Filipino place and they say, have you eaten? No, I've already eaten, which means they haven't eaten for probably three days, but they're going to tell you that they've eaten because that's the polite white lie. So you just make them something to eat and just don't ask them the question. <laughs> so you do the will of God. It flows right through. So conscience, that's following the process. That's following Jesus. So as you're going through life, every single decision that you make is going to be governed somewhere by conscience. Now think about that. You might not like that to start off with, to have an oversensitive conscience, like a conscience that's going, whoa, you shouldn't be doing that, or you know, this is wrong, you know. It's like it's oversensitive. I had one guy, I was talking to one guy, I talked about living and walking in the Spirit, and I was talking to this guy about how to live his life in the Spirit. 
And I said, you really need to obey him every time he speaks to you. If you want to develop a relationship with Jesus and follow Jesus and walk in the Spirit, you need to go through this tough place. This tough place is you start listening to the voice of your conscience because your conscience has been cleansed from dead works to serve God and you start doing what God tells you to do. So he said, oh, I'm going to do that. and I want to walk with Jesus. So that's fine. Okay, so the very next day he spoke to his neighbour in a rough manner. And his little conscience says, you know, you were harsh with your neighbour. You need to go to your neighbour and apologise to your neighbour about being harsh. You know, he came to me and says, you know, this is too hard, Mark. He says, I would rather just go to church and do the church things than to live on the edge here because that means I have to go to my neighbour and say, I was too harsh. I, was, I, I spoke roughly to you. I'm sorry, I have to apologise now. He didn't want to apologise. He didn't want to do that. That could have been the thing that brought his neighbour to Jesus, but he wasn't willing to let his conscience be his guide. He wasn't willing to let the Holy Spirit speak to his conscience. He decided not to do that. So as we're going through, good consciences live in the place where you're listening to God all the time and you're obeying him. And as soon as he says, you know, this is not quite right, he says, you know, you shouldn't be watching the telly now. You should be turning off. Your conscience will immediately tell you, turn the telly off. And you have a choice. Will you let... Your conscience rule your life through the spirit of Jesus or will you now ignore your conscience? The process of a good conscience is one who says, I'm sorry, Jesus, turns it off and gets on with what Jesus is telling him to do. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 that how much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God so he cleanses our consciences from acts that lead to death, so our consciences can be messed up and lead us to death. He says, from acts that lead to, so that we may serve the living God. So what happens is our conscience is brought to a place so that we become um, aware of how to serve God, how to, how to walk with God. This is so important for us. Conscience is the very place where we interface with the Spirit of God. The, candle is the, is the, the, the Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, it says. So if you think about it, tomorrow when your conscience speaks to you, listen. This is God speaking to you now. Listen to him. He's interfacing. I don't know how many times i heard people say, I don't, I don't know whether I hear the Spirit of God. I, I don't know what God sounds like. How, the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice, but I don't ever hear Jesus' voice. And I say, think about doing a very bad thing now. What's the worst thing you could possibly do? So they'll tell me the bad thing that they think that, that they could possibly do. I say, now think about doing that. Do it. Oh, I feel bad inside. Don't tell me you can't hear God. God is speaking to you right now. You're able to discern him when he says no. Well, that's a start, isn't it? I mean, if you hear mum saying no to you, you can hear mum, can't you? And mum says, don't run across the street. And she says, don't. Stop, Johnny, stop. And you hear that. You hear in mum. So you can hear God. Every one of you can hear God. Every one of you hears the Spirit speak to you, to your conscience. You know? And even the unsaved hear God speaking to them. Even if they don't acknowledge it, they hear God speaking to them. So God is closer to you than you even understand. So your conscience has been cleansed. As you've given your life to Jesus, he cleans your conscience. Uh, there, was a, there was a lady in the church in, in, um, in the Blue Mountains that I led to the Lord. She was 41 and she came to him and she was sitting in our church for a number of years or you know, about a year, I suppose, sitting in our church. And she said, oh, look, I've listened to this. And she says on a Saturday, she says, I want to give my life to Jesus. I said, well, that's fine. I said, well, let's just pray together. 
So we prayed together and she asked Jesus to come into her life and asked Jesus to forgive her for all of her sins. And, and then she went away. She was all elated. She was very, very happy. I said, that's great, you know. She came to me the following week, the following Sunday, and she was very angry. So I want to see you. I, she said, I'm very angry with you, Mark. I said, why are you angry with me? She says, I'm angry at you because you made me feel guilty. I said, um, I don't understand what happened. She says, on Wednesday night, this is Wednesday after you're giving your heart to Jesus. She said, yes, on Wednesday night, I decided to go to my friend's place. It was a male friend place. And on Wednesday night, they used to get together to party. And so they decided they would party on Wednesday night. After parting on Wednesday night, she determined that she felt very bad about her parting. She felt bad when she was going to the place and she felt bad when she was leaving the place. She said, I feel really, really guilty. You make me feel guilty. I said, when was the last time you felt guilty for partying? She says, when I was 15, when I, when I started partying. She says, and after that, I, I, I stopped feeling bad about it. I just did it. I said, are you complaining to me because God has given you a conscience of a clean virgin, of a, of a girl who's never been sinning? You get a brand new heart as though you have never sinned before and you're complaining to me because you think that God has given you, you know, he gave you a new heart. He took away the old and gave you a new, a new person on the inside. And you don't want that? She says, I don't want that. I want a party. I just looked in disbelief. I couldn't believe that when God did a work in her, he did a, such an amazing work. He changed, he cleansed her heart, he cleansed her conscience from dead works so he so could serve him. And she decided that she loved sin more than she loved the Saviour. And she could hear his voice, just like that. So it produces, a cleansed conscience produces a renewed sense of right and wrong. So we, we get a new sense of guilt. So what will happen, you know, you guys have just given your heart to Jesus this week. So you'll start to do things and immediately inside of you will feel a sense, ooh, like it's not right, it's not happy inside. It's like you're doing something, it may be something from the old life, you know. And immediately inside you'll feel, I'm not happy about that feeling. It's not... This is not you thinking you're not happy. This is your new heart with God's spirit inside of you telling, keep away from that. That's not good for you. This is not happy time here. Don't go there. Stay away from that. That, that may mean that you get ostracized by people who, who are happy with that, who do that quite regularly. But, but inside, it's different now. You have a different life now. It's a new life. You're just a weak hole in the Lord. It's a new life. He's put a new conscience inside of you. And that new conscience will lead you and guide you. Just keep it good. Keep it clean. See, if you, if you, if you do something that's wrong and you feel the grieving inside, then say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Cleanse my life. And he will clean it. He'll take it away again. And, you, and, and, and you're clean to start again. He's with you to walk with you through this life. Learn that. This is, this is what we have all have to learn. Some of us forget that. If you've forgotten that, learn that again today. That your conscience has been cleansed from dead work to serve a living God. Conscience then is like pain. It's like pain on the soul. It's like physical pain to the body. It's just pain in the conscience. is pain or guilt is pain to the soul. 
It's like if you're getting close to a fire and you put your hand out towards the fire, the thing that you're going to feel at your fingertips as you put your hand out towards the fire is heat. And as closer that you go to the heat, the, the closer you get to the heat, the heat turns from heat to pain sensation. And it's telling you, your body is telling you, remove your hand from the heat. That's what it's telling you. That, that pain sensation is telling you, warning you, remove yourself from the heat. Guilt on the inside then, this new sense of guilt that we get, and we all think we don't want to have guilt. Guilt is a good thing, okay? It's a good thing. If you've got guilt, it's telling you, hey, there's a right and a wrong here. Remove yourself from the danger of this situation and do the right thing. So it's like pain to the soul. So how do we deal with guilt? Of course, it's got this, this, this judge sitting there. Look, it has to be guilty or not guilty. You can't plead, I don't want to talk about it. You know, the, are you guilty or not guilty? I don't want to talk about it. That's called avoidance. We all know when, you, when there's a breach in morality that you're going to feel some level of guilt. We know that because God says you will. That's common. You say, oh, I don't want to talk about it. It's not a way of dealing with guilt. You have to deal with guilt. Avoiding the discussion about guilt is not going to fix guilt. That's called repression. You can repress it as much as you like. And you make your guilt go away that way, but you're not in a good place if you don't feel guilt anymore. Imagine if you went through life and you didn't feel guilt about anything. You could do anything. You could just do anything. You could murder a child and just wouldn't feel anything about it. No guilt. No conscience. Think about that. You want to get to that place? You want to get to that place where there's absolutely no sense of God inside of you any longer? You've just hardened yourself so much? You just don't feel that? Avoidance. Of course, blaming is another way we deal with guilt. And that's as old as the hills. Back in the Garden of Eden, when God says to <laughs> they're hiding in the bush, he comes walking in the garden. Where are you guys? Because they've eaten the fruit from the tree and they're feeling guilt. They're hiding away and they're hiding away from God because God's walking through the garden now. He's wanting to talk to them. And he gets them out there and says, uh, what are you doing, guys? Adam, why did you do this? He looks at his wife. God, he says, it was the woman you gave me. He immediately blames someone else for his own personal guilt. I mean, that's easy, isn't it? You know? I do that all the time at home. You know, say, Mark, why are you so fat? It's the wife who feeds me. <laughs> that's just shifting. It's shifting responsibility from yourself to someone else. It's not a val- it's an argument that I I fail I don't use anymore because she says you're the one who eats it. If there be a, a man of appetite, put a knife to thy throat. It says, you know. Do you know what that means? It doesn't mean cut your throat. Just stop eating. <laughs> or the, when Eve says, and it says to Eve, "What did you do, Eve?" He says, "It was the serpent you put in the garden." Oh, shifting it, shifting it. So you had a choice when you're feeling guilt. You can either accept responsibility for your guilt or you can, you can project blame onto somebody else. It's the society in which I brought up. It's the horrible society in which I brought up. You can go through and there are, every, there are so many different... In law now, there's no truth in law in the courts any longer. It's your argument to see if you can shift blame. So the woman who kills her husband with a meat axe then argues the, argues the fact that I was abused as a child and this guy beat me up every second day as I was going up. So I waited till he was asleep. I got the meat axe and I put it through his head. 
I don't well, I am not guilty for killing. I'm the victim. He was the villain. I'm the victim. Let me go free. That's called shifting blame. The abused wife syndrome, it's called. Shift the guilt. Shift it onto somebody else so you don't be found guilty. Some guys in jurisprudence, they say, oh, you poor thing, because they have a good lawyer who cries. Uh, the poor thing, oh, we'll let you go free. You just, uh, just let me slap your hand for manslaughter and that's it. Listen, take responsibility for yourself. Take responsibility for your own actions. You could have left your husband. You don't have to put the meat axe into his head. You could have found a refuge to go. You could have found some other way of getting away. You didn't have to kill him. There are other ways of dealing with that. When you, when you blame others, you give up your, your, um, your power to change. That's so true. If, if it's somebody else's fault all the time, you don't have to do anything about that. You can just blame somebody else. You, don't, you give away your, your responsibility to change. And... and uh, John Maxwell said in one of his books, he says, the greatest day in your life and mine is when we take, take responsibility for our attitudes. That's the day we truly grow up. When you take responsibility for your action, that's the day that you truly grow up. When you, when you become an adult, you say, I am responsible for the way I behave. I am responsible for my attitudes. I can make choices here. When you've come to that place where you're taking responsibility for your attitudes, you're growing up. Personal responsibility is recognizing the difference between our ways and God's ways and determining to make a change towards God. What are God's ways like? Well, the Bible says in Isaiah 55, it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. And then he tells us in Isaiah to let us change our ways and be conformed to God. You know, God's ways are different to our ways. And the gap that is between our ways and God's ways, the way we think and the way God thinks, that gap is called sin. And the word for sin is the word harmatia in the, in the Greek. And it means to miss the mark or to error from God's ways. So God has a set way up here, and we, which is God's way of doing things. And when we look at that, we say, well, that's, not the, that's your way, God, but I'm doing this down here. You say that's good, but I'm saying that this is good for me. It's different to what you're saying, and I'm differing with you. And when you differ with God, when you are differing to God, that's called sin. And sin is the thing that kills you. Sin is the thing that's going to break you. Our society doesn't like to deal with sin. Let's not call anything sin. Let's just call it all just different. We'll just call it different. Well, this person is different to that person. Why are they different? Oh, they have different ways of sinning I suppose and we're not going to call anything sin we're just going to accept everything but God doesn't accept everything there are differences yes but the difference is between his way and our way and if it's not his way it's called sin so Hosea says in 14 verse 9 who is wise he will realize these things who is discerning he will understand them the ways of the Lord are right the righteous walk in them but the rebellious stumble in them and so it's all about attitude. How's your attitude with regard to what God wants you to do? How's your attitude with regard to God's leading? How's your attitude with regard to your conscience? Are you listening to your conscience or not listening to it? What happens when we ignore the voice of conscience or the leading of God's Spirit? What happens in our life when we ignore that? What happens when we kill the voice of conscience? We let the dark side of us rule over our lives and we kill that sense of God's Spirit leading in our lives. What happens? 
It's called the searing of the conscience. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So your conscience can be seared. Now, seared means this, to mark by branding. So if you've seen some cattle running around the paddock somewhere and you see on the side of them they've got a big burn mark on the side with a sort of a certain shape, it's a branding mark. That's the permanent mark that's been placed on the, of ownership. Our consciences can be seared or branded by sin. So sin comes along and we say, okay, you know what? I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I don't want to believe what God is saying is right. I'm going to do my own stuff. I'm going to determine what's right and wrong for my life because I'm just becoming an adolescent and I know better than God. So I'm going to tell God what I think is right for me. So, and then you start to do the wrong thing and immediately your conscience says, you know what? You need to get on your face and repent before God because you just did the wrong thing. Your conscience tells you you did the wrong thing. Clearly it says you've done the wrong things, but you have to deal with the guilt now, so you decide to repress the guilt, to push the guilt down. You say, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to listen to the voice of conscience. I'm going to just do my own thing. And then your conscience is branded. It's like it's got a brand mark on it, and the brand mark on it is a mark that says, okay, conscience, you're not going to feel anything at that point. At that place, you're not going to feel the right thing. You've just changed the whole of the conscience. It's seared. It's marked. It's like, conscience is like a sun, sundial. You see sundials sitting out in the sun. They sit there, the sun shines on them, and immediately the sun is shining on them. You can see, you can tell what time it is by looking at a sundial. It's, your conscience is like that. However, with a sundial, you can actually turn the lights off and you get no indication at all of what time it is because you've got no light on the sundial. You need the sun to show the light so, we can, so the truth has to shine onto your conscience to show you where to go. You take the truth away, you take the sun away from the sundial and it doesn't tell you where to go. You take a torch and you shine the torch on the sundial. You can make it say any time you like. You can take that torch and put it over this way and it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. If you don't want it to be 3 o'clock in the afternoon, come over this way. Shana, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. It's up to you what time it is. You can determine your conscience is just like that. It's going to lead you astray if you don't have the truth shining on your conscience. You can make your conscience feel whatever you want. You can make sin feel good. You can make it feel... I've, so, I've had people say to me, I don't know how something so beautiful, something so, so lovely could be wrong. And you hear it in the songs that they sing. How can it be wrong? It feels so good. It's got to be right because it feels so good. Like sensual pleasure is so yummy, it's got to be right. You've got to have your head ready to think that one through. Matthew chapter 6 says, The light inside you is darkness. How dark is the darkness? If that conscience has been messed up inside of you and it's not giving you a correct indication and you think that the light is dark or the dark is light, you're messed up. Isaiah says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. You go and listen to the kids today and they say, oh, how, what did you do? I had a really wicked weekend. Well, what do they mean? It was really good. Oh, we, we went down to the hyperdome and they had this blue light disco there. It was really wicked. We had this fantastic, you know, rad. What they're really saying is they did something that was really wrong, but it's right because pleasure is good and good is Happiness is good and as, as long as you can be happy and have lots and lots of pleasure, then that's the highest goal in life. We know that's not because when you get older, we understand that happiness is not the most important thing. Obedience to God is the most important thing. Happiness is neither here nor there. 
It's just being obedient to God that's most important. So here is the process of a bad conscience. Hearing God's truth, your conscience speaks. So when your conscience speaks to you, you diminish the guilt. You don't want to feel the guilt anymore, so you you say, well, I'm going to take the guilt away. So you begin to repress it or you start to change it. To do that, you have to reject the truth. The truth is shining on you so that while the truth shines on to your life, you're going to feel the sense of conscience. Conscience is going to speak to you. This is right, this is wrong. To stop that right and wrong feeling inside, you have to diminish the truth. You have to take the truth, reject the truth. You have to take God's word and say, I know your word says thou shalt not commit adultery, but however, you've never lived with my wife and if you knew what my wife was like, you would understand that, 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 that Fiona in the office is much nicer than my wife and she's much more happy to be with. So for me, adultery is okay as long as it's with making me happy because Fiona is such a werewolf, you know? No, the other one is such a, my wife is such a werewolf. And so you change the truth. You change the whole thing. You just reject the truth. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Number seven, the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. You've just taken that and say, except if you're me with a wife who's a werewolf. For me, adultery's fine. It's okay. You just changed it. This is the process of a bad conscience. This is the process of turning away from Jesus. Because remember, Jesus is the one who cleansed your consciences to serve him. So the minute you start doing this, turning that off, you're turning away from Jesus. You're turning Jesus off. You're turning the Holy Spirit off. So you reject the new, you deny the sin, you reinforce the old attitude. You have to justify yourself to keep on doing the sin. You have to keep on telling yourself it's okay to do it. And then you disobey the will of God. You actually go and do, keep on doing it then. That's the process of a bad conscience. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 to 9, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them that you may fight the good fight of faith, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some having rejected these and so far rejected, uh, shipwrecked their faith. You, you reject faith, which is the, the outworking of your conscience so it's the behavior that comes from and it's the beliefs that come in you reject those and you reject the good conscience which tells you you're on god you're going to shipwreck your faith there's not one of you here that would climb onto a boat and say let's sail into the rocks there let's just to see what it feels like none of you will do that but if you've gone and you've rejected those basic lights like the 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 um the What's that thing? Hey? Lighthouse that's shining there. You rejected that as a guiding light. You know, we don't believe that anymore. And you sail the ship on because you're having a good day. You'll end up in the, in the drink. you shipwreck yourself. That's what we do in our life. God gives us these guiding lights. He says, maintain your faith in the word of God. Maintain your good conscience. He says, by doing that, you won't shipwreck your faith. Hang on to it. So what it is to put it away? This is the word to put away. To thrust away, push away, repel. So it says here, he says, um, some having rejected these, this is the word rejected. In the King James, it's to put away. So to thrust away, to push away, to repel, to, to thrust away from oneself, to drive away from oneself, to repudiate, to reject, to refuse. So you have to do all of that when it comes to rejecting good conscience. You have the conscience will tell you, the word of God will speak to you, then you have to start this process of pushing it away, pushing it away. Get that, push it away. 
when I've talked to different ones in, in the past, and I started to talk to them. I talked to this old gentleman one day, and I started talking to him about, about stuff. And as I was talking to him, he, he's going like this, putting his hands up like this, around his, over his ears and shutting his eyes. What was he saying to me? <laughs> I don't want to listen to you, and I don't want to see you anymore. That's what he was saying to me. That's like pushing it away. We do that. When God speaks to you, what do you do? Are you saying, I'm listening to you, God, or you are, I don't want to see you and I don't want to hear you. Why? Because I want to do my own thing. What do you feel when you put away your conscience? Listen to what it says in Ephesians. And look it up in Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bibles, because this is a, a long passage. And this is a fantastic passage of Scripture, because Paul is actually describing very much what's, what goes on in the mind of those people who don't follow God. Just think about this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. So Paul tells us, I tell you this and insist on it in the law, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. The word futility means useless thinking. So Paul reckons that those people who don't follow God have got useless thinking. He says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, that, that's a lot of words there, but let's just go through that and think about it. They are darkened in their understanding. They don't understand. They just can't get it. You, you explain to them, can't you see this is what you're doing? They just, they don't understand. They darken. They don't see it. They've got a different way of referencing. They don't even understand what you're talking about. They are separated from the life of God. They are, they, you talk about God and God's life. They don't know what you're talking about. They're separated, completely separated from that whole concept. There, there's an ignorance inside of them. They, they just don't know and they have heart in their hearts. So there's a callousness that's developed in their lives. They've become hard in the, in, the, in the inside. He says they have lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. And that's it. I mean, they say, you know, in Australia, that's the party of mentality. It's like, okay, what is feeling good? You know, let's just feel good. You know, let's find out what makes us feel good all the time. We had some guys at the street preaching coming to some guys there last night, we had an interesting time at street preaching last night. It was, the police came, didn't they? Oh, they, that was, you know, uh, there was this big guy and he was fronting up to Cheryl. And he, so Cheryl's standing on a box preaching away and this big guy walks straight up to you. Know, you know that God is spelled back with his dog. And so so she, he's, he's getting ready to biff her. She was okay with being biffed, you know. I'm not okay that, for her being Beth, but she was. But as he was protesting, and, and he was protesting about the abuse of uh, children in the church, and then she, he was attacking her because she was preaching about our great God. She didn't think God was very great because he got mixed up with the church and God. So the, just as he's abusing her, the police came out and grabbed him and took him away. And that was kind of. <laughs> <laughs> disappointing for you but there were some young fellas there and these young fellas there they were out and they're having a good party the reason why the police were there was because they had come not for this gentleman who, who was abusing Cheryl but for these young guys who came up in the, in, in the first part and um, these young guys were drunk or they were out on something I don't know what they were but they were high as kites and they were talking and laughing and clowning and doing all kinds of silly things and when you started to talk to them their defense about their lives, I go to church on Sunday. I go to church on Sunday. 
what you're talking about is rubbish because I go to church on Sunday. You don't think that you know, going to church on Sunday is going to keep them safe, you know? And here they are abusing those who are preaching the word. They have a continual lust for more. They have, they're having a party time and it's not enough. You know what? We have to get some more of that stuff, put it in the Coke bottle and drink that down because that's even better. Now I'm having more of a party time. You know, it's not enough. Next Saturday night, unless they repent from their sins, it will be the same again, but it will be something else. It'll be, they're on to something now and this little tablet will give you the high that you're really looking for. And after that, that little tablet won't work for them anymore. So they've got to get something else to give them something. Or they'll mix it with something else. You know, and then they'll be really strumming. I can fly from the Story Bridge. You watch. Why? Because it's a continual lust for it and doesn't stop. It never stops. It's got to go on and on and on. You start that slippery track. You start hunting that stuff down. You, it will never stop. You never get to the end of it. Every time you think you've got happiness, it disappears and you have to try something else to get more happiness. It just disappears that way. He says, you didn't come to know Christ this way. Surely you've heard in him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You're told to put it away. This is old stuff. This is, you've got to think new ways now. You've got to think of new thoughts. To be made new in, the, new in the, your attitude of your mind. Have a new way of thinking, a new conscience, a new heart, a new relationship with God, a new sensitivity towards God. So when he speaks to you, walk with him and talk with him and you follow him. He says, and to put on a new self created to be like God in righteousness and true holiness. You're created to be like God. You're to put that on. You're meant to be separate from the old stuff. So Paul is actually telling us very clearly what it's going to be like. The hardening of your heart thing. This is what the writer of the Hebrews says. He describes this hardening of the heart or the conscience. He says, this is why I was angry with, this is God speaking, this is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared in my, on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about the children of Israel as they've been walking through the desert, going towards the promised land. He's been leading them with a fire by night in front of them and the cloud in front of them. He's been, he's been there. He's been providing every one of their needs. He's been following them right through the desert. He's taken them to the promised land. And he says, now I want you to go into the promised land. And they've said, no, we're not going to go. We're going to, you know, they're giants in there. We're not doing what you'd tell us to do. We're going to do our own thing. And so they harden their hearts towards God. He says, well, you're never going to enter into the rest. See to it, now brothers, that none of you has a sinful, listen, read this with me. See to it that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. I'll read it again. All of you, read it with me now. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. What does that tell me? It's quite possible that you could get a sinful and unbelieving heart and turn away from the living God. Why would he warn you? Why would he challenge you? Young people, listen to me, young people. Why would... The Word of God challenged you to stay focused in God if there wasn't a real chance for you to be taken out by a world that doesn't believe in God. You're told here, you're warned here, see to it. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. That's the good thing about Facebook, I suppose. Hey, you can get daily encouragement from your Christian brothers and sisters. That's if you use it for encouragement. 
give each other a scripture and say, hey, here's fa- Facebook scripture for Michaela from, um, from somebody else. You know, search after God and seek his ways only or something like that. Oh, yeah, that was a real good one. She'll send it on to somebody else. That's great. Use Facebook like that. Talk about rubbish on Facebook. What are you doing that for? You know, but encourage one another as the day, another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know, sin, when you break God's rules, when you, when you feel the guilt of that, and you decide to keep on breaking God's rules, your heart gets hard. And it gets really hard. We've come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence that we had at first. And as you've just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Now, how do you hear his voice? It's not an audible voice. How do you hear God's voice? The first register of God's voice will be the, the, the sound of your conscience. That, that will be the first register of God speaking to you, will be the sound of your conscience speaking to you. Don't do this. This is what Proverbs says. Proverbs is uh, a book of wisdom, and this is the writer of Proverbs. It's Solomon, and he says, How long, and this is God speaking, how long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If you had responded to my rebuke, the rebuke of conscience would come to you. You would feel that if you responded to the rebuke of conscience, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. If you respond to the conscience, God will communicate what he wants and what he thinks. But since you rejected me when I called you and no one gave heed to me when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all of my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when your calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me and I will not answer them. They will look for me and they will not find me since they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. Now that's sound and, and sobering words because it basically says if you keep on doing this nonsense of putting God out and pushing God out, when you really do hit the wall and you get in trouble, you're going to turn around and go, help me God, he's going to say, you got your own way. You got what you wanted. You're eating up the fruit of what you want. I warned you about this beforehand. I told you, I kept on speaking to you on the inside and warning you and telling you over and over and over again, don't go down this path. But you would not listen to my rebuke. You would not listen to what I was saying. You did not understand that I was loving you and trying to protect you. You told me to go hop and jump and skip and get away from you. You pushed me away and now you are eating the fruit of it. You're coming to me and saying, help me, save me. But you are eating the fruit of your rebellion. That's what he's saying. And this is not somewhere else. This is inside of you. Listen to me. This is inside of your heart. This is your conscience speaking to you when you're interfacing with right and wrong and God speaking to you and saying, don't do that thing. And you have to make a choice now whether you're going to listen to God or you're going to reject Him and push Him away. You're either following Jesus and walking with Jesus or you are physically turning into life in Christ is like life on an elevator. You're either going up with the elevator or you're walking back down the other way. Whenever you stand still, you say, well, I'm not doing either. I'm just standing still. You're going down. It doesn't stop. Apathy at this point means disaster. 
conscience put on hold and dismissed right and wrong, dismissed as though it doesn't matter. That's disaster waiting for you. And when it happens, don't come crying and saying, yes, God will save you and His mud and grace, He will help you. But you can push so too much and you can harden your heart so much. And listen to me, friends. If you harden your heart too much, return is not guaranteed. Since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and they'll be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For their waywardness of the simple ones will kill them and the complacency of fools will de- destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. So God is speaking to you. This is a slippery road. Listening to your conscience and rejecting your conscience is a slippery road. Psalm 73 says, Surely the place they are on is slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. It's slippery ground. It's slippery. It's happened so easily, hey, doesn't it? Well, you, you just do it every day. It's easy to do. Reject conscience every day. We're told to keep a good conscience, but we reject conscience every day. Slippery road. I got Max running around my pool. I said, Max, don't run around the pool. It's slippery. Slippery. So he says, Nana, Nana, come. Nana, come. He says, I want to feed the fish here. It's dangerous. He says, It's dangerous. Right, yeah, it's true. He understands. Don't run around because you slip. If you slip, you fall in. You know, the water is that green. I might not find you. So what's God's view on this behavior? Well, this is what God says. And, and look, I'm giving you scripture because scripture is, I'm not telling you what I think. I'm just giving what, what the word of God says. This is what God says about living in this slippery road of rejecting the truth and just keep on deliberately sinning. If we deliberately sin, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expedition of judgment and of the raging fire that, God, that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has, and listen, he says three things here, trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace. He says, for we know who, him who said, it is mine to avenge and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. I don't have to judge you. I'm not sitting here making judgments on you today. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. <laughs> you know, we sing so many songs in church now, which are sort of like, oh, I love you, Jesus, and come close to me now, let me hug you. You know, you want to get a big hug from God, a holy God, you know what's going to happen? Daniel saw the living God, or didn't see him, he saw, and, and he fell on his face. It was just an angel he saw, and he was, in, he was as if he was dead because he was so much fear in him because he saw Almighty God's reflection. Moses hid in the cleft of the rock, and God passed by him, showed him his, 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 his backward parts because no one can, can, if you see God face on, you're going to die. The holiness of God will just rip you apart. You can't, you, you can't see God and live. It's not like, you know, we'll get to heaven and we're going to have a big, big... Uh, I think you get to heaven 
And you're going to be on your face before him. Every, every sin is going to be revealed. And, every, and you're just going to be pleading, oh, Jesus, save me from this, you know? And, you know, it will be his grace that will take you into glory. But if you have continually spurned and turned away from Jesus, it's not going to be like you think it is going to be. Some people, and one of the guys in Woodridge last night, he was calling out, a loud, loudmouth guy going down the street, I sin, but Jesus forgives me. You hear him say that? He says, what? You're the journey, man. This is Woodridge. What are you doing here? This is Woodridge. Like they had a claim for sin in Woodridge. You know, we do Woodridge, you know. This is it. Yeah, we do Woodridge. We're in Woodridge, yeah. And we're teaching you about the word of God here now. I sin and Jesus forgives me. He hasn't read this passage. This passage says you keep on deliberately sinning. You've got nothing but raging fire in front of you. This is the point of conscience. Now, we're going to face with this whole idea of walking with God. Walking with God is not some sort of traditional thing you do on church. You come to church, you sing some nice songs, you feel good because everybody's hoppy and boppy, and you put some money in the plate because they have to keep their program going, you know, and, and then you go away and you live your normal life like everybody else, you know, doing whatever you want to do because you're the ones that are in control of it. No, this walk with Jesus is not about you doing your stuff. It's about you doing God's stuff and God speaking to you and you learning to live with Jesus and walking with Jesus and follow Jesus and follow the voice of your conscience, which has been cleansed from dead works to serve God. So you don't want to play that game. You don't want to be in a relationship with Jesus. You don't want to listen to Jesus anymore. You want to do your own thing because your own thing is smarter than what Jesus... You, you're, going to, you're going to be God of your life. Well, listen, what's going to happen in this situation is you're going to run into the wall later on. And I'm warning you today, don't play that game because you're going into religion and religion is dead. The walk with Jesus is a walk of vital relationship whereby you're saying, God, look at me and help me, teach me, speak to me. And then when he speaks to you, you say, God, I'm sorry for sinning. I'm sorry for doing the wrong thing. I'm sorry that I'm a human being. I'm, forgive me and now help me walk right. And when he speaks to you every day, you walk right. Every time he speaks, you say, that was a bit harsh. You didn't say that to your wife. You say, oh, I'm sorry, God. You know, I, I apologize. To fix it up. Keep short accounts with the holy God. That's the dynamic of walking with Jesus. It's not religious garbage. It's not going to church on Sunday, putting your money in the plate, paying for the boys to do the show. This is walking with Jesus on a daily basis, interfacing with your conscience. Your conscience which speaks to you. Your conscience which tells you the right and wrong thing to do. Your conscience which has been cleansed from dead works to serve God. This is a relationship, not a religious thing. Young people, it's not about how much fun you have at church. It's about how you learn to listen to God and walk with Him at school, at home, wherever you are, especially when you're by yourself. This is what it is to trample the Son of God underfoot. To, treat, to tread down, to trample underfoot, to trample on. It's a metaphor. Because we're not going to put Jesus on the ground and we're not going to do a little tap dance on Jesus. We can't do that. It's a figurative thing. That would be literal. So we're talking figuratively now. We're talking about a metaphor. What does it mean? To spurn, to treat with insult, neglecting. Insulting neglect. So when God speaks to you through your conscience, you decide to reject it with insulting neglect. That means that when your conscience speaks to your heart, you insult the Spirit of God, you insult Jesus 
by neglecting to do what your conscience is telling you to do. Insulting neglect. That's trampling Jesus underfoot. So if Jesus was there, he died for you. He loves you. came from heaven to save you, to bring you back to Jesus. He's like, oh, let me walk all over you, Jesus. That's insulting neglect. Treat it as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him. This is the second thing you're going to do when you reject your conscience. It says unholy. Now, the word unholy is the word common. So you're treating it as a common thing. You know, Jesus is a man that died on the cross. He shed his blood. Oh, he's just a man that died. It's a common thing. Lots of people get martyred. Nothing particularly special in Jesus. Why would I have that thing that Jesus dying on the cross? Why would that control my life on a daily basis? Why would I let that idea, Jesus shedding his blood for me, dying for me and shedding his blood for me, why would that be something that would control my life? Why should that be factored into the fact that I want to do my own thing? I don't want to listen to anybody else tell me what to do. I want to do my own thing. Jesus says, I died for you. I shed my blood. My blood was shed for you so that you could come into a relationship with Father God. I shed my blood. My blood being shed was me being punished and put to death for the things that you were doing wrong. That was the arrangement that God the Father and God the Son had together. God the Father says, I will kill you for their sin. I will shed your blood for their sin. The blood of the covenant, the blood of Jesus was a sign that the sins that you had committed had been forgiven. Not a common thing, a precious thing. An incredibly precious thing. His blood was shed so that your blood was not shed. His life was taken so that your life would be reserved. Not a common thing. Oh, you know, but when the conscience speaks to you and says, you know, turn the telly off. Well, let's just do a little walk on Jesus because we don't. He says, turn the telly off and then come and spend some time in the word of God and speak to me. You haven't prayed and you haven't spoken to me for a whole week. I haven't even talked to you. Well, I won't miss my bold and beautiful and I won't miss, I won't miss my shows. And God, by the Holy Spirit, says to you, quickens your voice. He says, turn it off and come and seek after me. Come and find me. Come and talk to me. Come and know me. We do a little tap dance on Jesus. We don't want to listen to that voice of conscience. We harden up. You know, the blood, he says, the blood, I shed my blood to save you from this stuff. And we look at the blood and we say, oh, it's a common thing. We treat it like it means nothing at all. Here he is, he's bleeding for you and it's, oh, I don't have to do what he says. John saw it. He stayed there. He saw the torturing. He said, he looked at Jesus as he's dying on the cross. He watched the whole thing from the beginning to the end. And he says, he that is born of God will not sin. He cannot sin because the seed of God. He he was so caught with the torture that was given to Jesus while he hung on the cross that it controlled him so bad. He said, I'll never sin again. That's what his view was when he saw the price that was paid for his redemption. I will never sin again. The holy price that was paid for me. It wasn't just a man dying on the cross. It was God negotiating with Jesus for your salvation. And the blood meant something. Insulted the spirit of grace. To treat with gross insensitivity, insolence, and contemptuous rudeness. 
That's what it means. So when the Spirit of grace comes, you know, the Bible tells us in, in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So it's the Holy Spirit. He comes to us because the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, of judgment, of righteousness. He's, he's now coming to you. You can't see him, but you can feel his presence. He bears witness with you. He's there. He's inside of you. The Holy Spirit's living in. He's bearing witness with you now, and he's speaking to you. Your conscience can feel it. Your conscience saying it's a right and wrong going, and the Holy Spirit begins to speak into your mind. He's telling you now what to turn off and what to turn on. He's telling you what to stop and what to do. He's telling you what he wants you. He's speaking into your mind. So you have to deal with that now because when he speaks into your mind, you have to deal with the noise in your head. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when the Holy Spirit speaks to you? Gross insensitivity and insolence? Like, if I told you when you were just about to sin, and I said to you, did you hear God speak to you? I've asked people who've, who've dropped into gross sins, and I said, did you hear God speak to you? And they say, yeah, before I sinned, I knew I was doing the wrong thing. I, my conscience says, don't do this. They heard it. They heard it. They listened and they heard God say, God says, do not do this thing that you are going to do. And then with gross insensitivity and insolence and contemptuous rudeness, as if he was standing right there, they just went and did their thing. That's what it's like. When you harden your heart to the Spirit of God, when he speaks to you and your conscience has been cleansed from dead works, to have such a disregard for his intervention in your life to save you and to protect you from sin, it's like just treating him and saying, I'll do my own thing. You keep on doing that. Do not sing to me the grace of God is going to save me at the end. I'll live like I want here on this earth and I'll do whatever I like. I'll just harden my heart to my conscience. And when I get to heaven, God will all be sweet and there'll be lovely. God will let me come in because he's a God of love, isn't he? What does it tell you? It says, you're not going to get in. John, uh, sorry, Paul warns us. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. The grieving. That's the thing that you've got to watch, the grieving. It says here, the grieving is to make sorrowful, to affect with sadness, cause grief to throw into sorrow, to grieve, offend, to make one uneasy, causing him to scruple. Or that means it's to cause him to stumble. So the Holy Spirit inside of you then starts to grieve. How many times have you in your situation felt this deep grieving on the inside? Sadness. Real sadness. You think about your life and you get real sadness. Maybe that's God speaking to you and saying, you know, I am grieved with what you are doing. I am grieved with where you are. I am grieved with the choices that you are making. I am grieved with the choices and the decisions that you are making which are not of God. God's communicating to you. What do you do with that? So how far can you slip on this slippery road? How far? Here's some other passage of scripture from Hebrews. It's a horrible passage of scripture. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the goodness of, God, of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. He says, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance because of their, 
to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. That's a, that's a horrible scripture. I, I wish, if any, out of all the scriptures, I wish that one wasn't in the Bible. What, what does it tell us? It tells us if you habitually do this, you can do this to a point where you are so hard that it's impossible for you to ever turn around. Now, why? God is loving and God is forgiving. He's eternally loving and infinitely forgiving. That's his nature and his character. How is it that it's impossible then? Well, it's simple because it's not that God won't. It's that God can't. And the reason why he can't is because you do something to his voice. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he says, the sin against the Holy Spirit is an eternal sin. There's no forgiveness for that one. The sin against the Holy Spirit. Is this something that I should be feared? I, I think bad thoughts against the Holy Spirit. I've committed the unforgivable sin. There's no salvation for me. I don't think so. I think it's more like it's a thing that you do over a long period of time, slippery ground. Like when the Spirit speaks to you and you hear him and you turn, you turn your deaf ear and you say, no, I'm not listening to you, Holy Spirit. He speaks to you again through your conscience and say, I'm not listening to you, Holy Spirit. He speaks to you again and the Holy Spirit speaks even quiet. I'm, but I'm not listening to you, Holy Spirit. Until you don't hear the Holy Spirit again. You don't listen. You don't hear. You don't have a conscience anymore. You don't have the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You've stopped it all. It's nice and quiet on the inside. When it's nice and quiet on the inside, there's no turning around from which way you're going. You're beginning over to it now. You're just going to keep on going that way. You're not going to stop now. It's going to keep on coming at you. And you know why it's going to keep on coming at you? Because even if the Holy Spirit spoke to you, you'll just put it down again. You can't hear the Holy Spirit anymore. You're so hard on the inside now, even when he speaks to you, you turn it off all the time. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction of sin, of judgment and of righteousness. The Holy Spirit is the agent who brings condemnation and conv- sorry, conviction and a recognition that you are in the wrong place. He's the one that brings conviction of sin, that brings salvation. He's the one who teaches you. So you, you harden your heart against the Holy Spirit. There's no coming back because the agent has been kicked out. And it's a slippery road. The wall fall away. What does fall away mean? To fall beside a person or thing. To slip aside. This is not a one act. This is to slip. And the slip happens every day. The slip happens on a Monday night when you decide to do what you want to do and not do what God wants you to do. The slip happens when you deviate from God's way, continuously deviating. You're beginning to slip, slip, slip. And it's not, it's not, um, not something that just happens over, overnight. It's something that happens over a year or maybe two years. And after a while, we under, wonder why you know, somebody who's so going on for God, and they just turn away. You know? And they say, why do they leave their faith in God? Well, you know, they left their faith a long, long time before they left their religious duty. They kept on coming to church and they kept on doing their religious duty. But their heart was nowhere with God. They just lived their life in their little personal sin. You just couldn't see it. You couldn't see their personal sin because they weren't showing you. They came and raised their hands like everybody else and did it like everybody else. But then one day they just walked out, walked away from God. How did they do that? They slipped. And the slip happened when they started not listening to the voice of conscience. You don't fall into immorality just like that. I just came over me. I don't know what happened. You know, we, we, I don't know what happened. We just went to the party and we, our eyes met and all of a sudden we were in bed. It never happens like that. Whoever told you that's lying to you? It happens when you decide to think immoral thoughts. 
You start thinking immoral thoughts. You start thinking, oh, well, I can, you know, I can, and, I have, and I entertain immoral thoughts. You keep on entertaining immoral thoughts. You have immoral dreams. You have, watch immoral things on the TV. Read immoral books. The conscience has been speaking to you all the time, but you're dead in it, dead in it, dead in it. And the next thing, you've got an attitude of immorality that nobody knows anything about. Your conscience has been speaking to you, but no one knows anything about it. You're just putting it down all the time. You've got this immorality that's raging through you. And the next thing you know, you're having an affair. How did that happen? Well, it happened a long time ago when you thought that you could escape the scrutiny of conscience. You could put your conscience down and stop listening to the Spirit of God. You start on the slippery track and you can go so far, you can fall away from Jehovah. You can fall away from God. That's why we're told here in 1 Timothy verse 5, the goal of this commandment is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And Acts chapter 24, 16 says, So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. This is Paul. He says, keep a good conscience. Don't you want to be a good ethically? Keep a good conscience. 1 Timothy 3 verse 9 says, They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 16 says, Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from our guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Ethics has to do with your conscience, has to do with your willingness to obey God when he speaks to you. This is, this is the core of our Christian walk, our ethical walk, our moral walk with God. I, I understand this word is hard. I don't apologize for it because I think to apologize for the truth is the wrong thing. This is a warning to us, a clear warning that God so desires to walk with you day by day. He so wants to walk in fellowship with you on a daily basis. He so wants to commune with you on a daily basis. He so wants to just to have this relationship whereby every day you talk to him and he talks to you and you commune. Just what was lost in the garden. He would come down and he would talk with Adam and Eve before they'd sin and commune with him. He wants you to live in that vital relationship with the living God. He's so desirous for you to be there. He's warning you today, don't let that slip. Don't let that slip. If you let that slip, there's nothing left but disaster. Let's bow our heads. Father, you see our hearts. You see where we live. We can con everybody here. We can live a life that's good on the outside, but it's dead on the inside. But you're aware of that, Lord. You see our hearts. You see our thoughts. You see the meditations of our mind, Father. You see everything that goes on on the inside. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just touch this fellowship. Lord, that we would be just wanting to walk with you on a daily basis, Lord Jesus. That our conscience, Lord, would truly be cleansed from guiltiness, things that are wrong, Father, and that we would walk uprightly before you. As you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond today to this word. You may want 
or you may feel in your life that your conscience is not happy at the moment. You know, your conscience has been speaking to you. This word has been sharp. It's been hurting you on the inside as I'm talking. You can feel the pain on the inside because you know things are not right with you and God. I'm not going to call you out the front to pray for you. I just want you to respond to God now. I want you to say to God, God, you know the state of my heart. It's away from you. It's not where it needs to be. But I'm coming to you now and I'm asking you to forgive me. Can you cleanse me from the things that I've done wrong? Can you make it new again? Can you cleanse my conscience from acts that lead to death so that I can serve you? If you want to pray that prayer, I want you to raise your hand and I want to pray a prayer with you that God can change you. Yeah, I see that hand. Anybody else want to raise their hand? Yep, 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 yep. Anybody else? This is between you and God. I don't, it doesn't bother me, one or the other. You just respond to God. All right. I want you to pray this prayer in your spirit, in your mind. You don't have to say the words, but you just, in your mind. Father, I come to you now. And I ask you to forgive me for refusing to listen to you. I repent from this hardness, Lord. Help me to follow your guidance. From this time on, Lord Jesus, I want to do what you want me to do. Give me strength. I can't do it alone. Cleanse my heart again, Lord Jesus. Take away the hardness, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I pray that you just touch those who've uh, prayed that prayer, Lord, and ask that you would just cleanse their lives completely. Holy Spirit, refresh their hearts again. Draw them back into that dynamic with you, Father, where they walk with you and follow you on a daily basis. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.